I shall leave you as you left me, as you left her, marooned for all eternity in the center of a dead planet, buried alive, buried alive. Hello and welcome to the Dead Letter Movie Podcast. This is episode 69, recorded June 26th, 2022. I'm Tim. I'm Andrew. And we are continuing our Movies of Summer's Past series. Today, talking about Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, which we've mentioned a number of times before. I have mentioned at least. My bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, we talked about we talked about it more at length, at, or, well, not at length, but we talked about it a good amount uh, for our Staying Home Sick yeah, movies yeah. at the beginning of yeah, the pandemic. Yeah, a couple of years ago, because this is one of my, my, my sick movies. Air quotes here, folks. Air quotes, yeah. Sick. Yep, that too. Um, and also uh, from 1992, Tim Burton's Batman Returns, Revenge of the Sequel. For part two of our series, we're going to have some talks about second movies in a franchise. So we're going to start off with Wrath of Khan. Ah, Kirk, my old friend. Do you know the Klingon proverb that tells us revenge is a dish that is best served cold? Very cold in space. Um, which came out June 4th, 1982. And Tim, would you offer us some context? So the first Star Trek film uh, from three years earlier came out in 79. Was a, a big, big budget, you know, prestige play by, by Paramount. And was enjoyed somewhat by most of the existing fan base, but was not that big a critical or commercial hit. So there was a need to pivot to to something a little bit different. Gene Roddenberry himself uh, was, I believe, an executive consultant was his title for this movie, but didn't have a whole lot of actual say in in the story or how things went and was reportedly dissatisfied with a a number of things about it. So they brought in this this new guy, Nicholas Meyer, who is another director. And what he did is he, he went and he looked at the... The existing television episodes and came away with his his own thoughts and own ideas and what we got was a movie that was certainly more commercially viable it's it's more uh more exciting and and less thinky than uh than the previous film which weirdly is is a problem that the uh, the original series had with its first and then its second pilot <laughs> the uh, the original pilot had had the same criticism it's too slow too too thinky not enough action let's, let's spice it up a little so we we get this movie that's got a lot less budget you know lots of cost saving measures that are really some some of them pretty obvious if you know to look for them but it's a it's a bit deeper story more character driven and and less high concept and some some a few flashy new effects yeah this is, has um one of the first purely digital created shots i thought or not yeah yeah like so that, right? uh there there is some some early computer animation here yeah you'll you'll find uh, if you you watch through the credits um nasa and jpl and uh, los alamos national laboratory are all in the credits at the end and Great. and some of the some of the computer animation there was a, a particular sequence in the middle that was that was done all all digital yeah came came out of that and so yeah, fairly early uh there there are other movies that had 
had similar things around this time. We'll talk more about those in, in later episodes. Yeah. <laughs> this is a little minor tease for you folks. This character, Khan, was a character on yeah. in a episode of the of the original series, which I had only seen part of. Yeah, yeah. Um this is a an episode from the first season uh called Space Seed. Also, yeah, Ricardo Montalban who reprises his role here in in this film i heard that he had been so in fantasy island because he'd been on that for a while then he had like such a hard time getting back into the character of khan that he had to like watch that over and over and over and over again that 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 episode which I it's which I, it's it's possible um and well i'm, I'm willing to believe it. Yeah. If you've been doing one job for so yeah. long it's hard yeah. to do another job like i get that for sure but, uh, and yeah, and yeah. You know, one of the reasons he he took the the job on star trek you know back in the day was to get away from like, yeah and those it was things, yeah. it was was an interesting and, and different character, and he he felt like he could dig into it a bit. And it's like who is he and what's he about, and and he does a bit more of that here. It's it's very much a, a Captain Ahab revenge driven kind of character, but you you mm-hmm. kind of get why, and and it gives you enough of his backstory from from the television episode to to yep. carry on with the film. Yep. And that is his chest, naysayers. Uh, um, yeah, that's not that is not special effects. Yeah, that's that is, that's been that a, what he looked like. Yeah, that that rumor's been going around for a long long time. It's like, no, that's 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 not Robert. That's that's really Ricardo Montalban. That's that's all him. Yes, yes, made of real Corinthian leather. <laughs> no, 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 no. Now, before we were talking, you said that there were actually because I had asked if there had actually been anything from part one that really deals with this. Um, because like, because that's usually how a sequel works is that there's a lot of things that happen in part one that you follow up on in part two. I have not watched all of the first one. I'd only caught bits and pieces of it, and this is my first time properly watching wrath of khan without like commercials although yeah. i ended up catching i think i said this on the the stay at home sick episode like I, I kept getting the scene where Chekhov gets the thing in his ear like i saw that scene at least four thousand times because i just kept <laughs> getting to that scene um when i would be flipping by and so it seems like plot wise there isn't like a whole lot from the first movie in this but there are things from the first movie in this you were telling me yeah um there's there's one little plot thread that they talked about a a very little in in the first film that they pick up again here you don't need to have seen the first film to mm-hmm. to get that here it it works just fine you know, where where kirk is older and he's been promoted to to admiral and he's he's not in command of the ship anymore and and this movie is very much about him getting older and and looking back on you know regrets and and mistakes and things he might have done differently and and what's next is there anything left and yeah a lot a lot of that which is funny that this is like you're speaking about like a midlife crisis kirk mm-hmm. but really star trek 5 is midlife crisis kirk but that's or really midlife <laughs> well, crisis william shatner, shatner. Yeah, um, yeah yeah which is a little bit different thing but yeah no absolutely but yeah, yeah no, this 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 is very much very much uh midlife crisis kirk yeah one of the one of the cost saving measures is that you know well they had already built a lot of the sets and models that had been used in in the motion picture those are are here and actually a lot of sequences very very slightly re-edited just straight lifted are are here again in this movie which is you know something star trek has has done in the past and continues to do now and then not not so often anymore because now it's like everything is is cg and and all all rendered brand new so Mm -hmm. we we don't run into the you know stock footage problem nearly as much as we used to oh yeah but yeah there are oh oh probably yeah a good five minutes of of film that are just straight lifted from from the motion picture reused here mm-hmm. recontextualized a little bit and it, it it works and i i saw this movie before i ever saw 
the the first one and it's like hey wait a minute which movie am I watching? <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. So, like, yeah, we can just go into the film itself. Cast of the Enterprise, it's all the same people <laughs> from the first one from the TV show. And then we get, for the most part, the, the featured new person is Kirstie Alley. Um, uh, yeah, introduced. This this was her, yeah, her, her film debut. This this very much works like a, like a Navy war movie plot or a submarine film, as we had talked about before in our Staying Home Sick episode. And so while watching it this time, I kept kind of pre-making it in my head as like a Master and Commander or Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Um, and it and I would totally watch that movie um, <laughs> is the thing is the thing I kind of realized. But anyway, so um, the general plot of it is that the the old crew have gone on to do other things and they're training a new crew. Then they're able to go out on this mission and there's and Chekhov is off doing his own thing with with another group of people. But he goes to this planet where Khan is exiled. Khan, you know, puts this mind control earwig thing in him mm -hmm. and and then sets about to have his revenge on Kirk. They all go out to uh, out to the area and then they discover that Khan is there and we have this big fight um, that takes um, a big chunk of the movie um, where it all works as as a submarine movie. But um, And if you were to think of it as a submarine movie or a Navy movie, it's like they go on an island at one point <laughs> and do <laughs> stuff. And uh, there's all this stuff about a about the Genesis device, which is like a terraforming. Well, I get I don't know if terraforming is the uh, it is the it best is word um, for it, but yeah, yeah it's a terraforming device that makes an uninhabitable planet habitable. But so also all... could work the other way. So it's a doomsday yes. device and, and becomes a MacGuffin for, for Khan. Yep. And and so like, yeah, so Khan and Kirk have a big fight um, in space. Mm -hmm. And it's this is this is where a lot of the Moby Dick stuff comes in because Khan is quoting Ahab a lot yep. throughout the throughout the movie. And the fun thing about this is that a thing that I think works really well for this movie is that Khan and Kirk never actually meet during this whole thing. They're just talking to each other on Yeah, you know, on, on the view screen. Yeah. View screen, view screens, or in on um, like the transmitter. Yeah, the communicators. Like yeah, communicators. There we go. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> um, sorry, folks. I don't like dislike Star Trek. I'm just not that into it. So it's cool. One, uh, one of the other things that I think works really well is that I think the cast is very into who these characters are, and I think there's, I think that midlife crisis thing actually works really well here um, because it gives more depth to these characters that we've had so much experience with before. I also like the fact that Spock's death is foreshadowed like twice in the first. Eight minutes um he has like a fake death during a exercise like a like a test exercise yeah. and then he's like there's a joke about it pretty soon right after that and then so he ends up sacrificing himself because of the needs of the mini i actually almost kind of wish it didn't have and by the way this movie by the way we're totally going spoiler crazy on all of these spoilers for a 40 year series, old so movie folks Spoilers for a forty-year-old movie, but um, I kind of want—I kind of wish they had not had that final shot of his coffin on the the Genesis mm -hmm. planet. Mm -hmm. And like we knew it was going to happen, but um, like I kind of wish that they hadn't done that, just so that that for one thing, it feels like an added-on shoehorned kind of thing. I actually think it should have just ended with like the funeral and gone straight to credits. It's nineteen eighty-two; they edited movies different, they did stories different back then. I I get it yeah. to an extent, but like that—that's just Andrew personal. How I would rather a story I, be told. I, I could see that. You could, um, could trim that yeah. a little bit and, and keep nearly and, and it, everything and it makes, else, and it, it would still work. And it makes Search for Spock more interesting, ultimately, too. Well, yeah, yeah. They, they they left a couple of, of little hooks uh, toward toward the end of this film for its sequel, which, yeah. you know, it, it, it worked okay. Yeah, no, it works fine for that. I mean, like, but uh, that's that's my only little, like, nit to pick with all that. <laughs> Otherwise, I think it's actually, you know, pretty good. It's like a great little, yeah. It's, a, yeah. it's a good little conflict in space movie. 
And like I and although it's a relatively simple story in that I'm able to pre-make it so easily into other like things, either as a submarine movie or as a pirate movie or something like that, that actually I think adds to what works. Like I think that's one of the things that the fact that it isn't so reliant on its science fiction stuff that the story itself can be told without the necessary trappings of that, I think that helps it a lot. Yeah, I I agree completely and you know, that's, that's one of the great things about, you know, science fiction is you can tell basically the same kinds of stories, but you, you couch it a little different and, you know, maybe, maybe just maybe it's like, it's, it's the sugar for the medicine kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, you've got some, some thought provoking stuff going on here that people might not otherwise have got in just a straight submarine movie, for instance, because that's, mm-hmm. that, that's not always there. And, and this mm-hmm. has some, some elements of that and, and they play into it. Yeah, I I love this movie. I think it is a one of one of the the great movies. You know, contextual, you know, with with the asterisk that yes, this is part of a big franchise. Yeah, yeah. It's, what would you say? This is the second of thirteen movies. There are like... thirteen movies in this franchise to date. Not and yeah, well over. Yeah, we're 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 past eight hundred episodes of television and and still yeah. counting. Quite a lot of Star Trek out there, there. There is. There really is. There there are a couple of nits to pick. You know, one is that when uh, when the reliant goes looking for a for a planet to to test the genesis device they really should have known hey wait a minute you know cuz starfleet has has been to this this star system before wasn't there another planet there they should have noticed that little little thing there they yeah was it like a classified thing nope. maybe nope nope okay all right nope just nobody had bothered to to look in in 15 years and apparently nobody on board the Reliant bothered to read the records at all. Well, I'm with you. I agree. Like, it, it is kind of weird. A planet is a planet is a planet. At the same time, though, when I think of it as, like, bureaucracy, the military, and the government, oh, yeah, someone totally forgot to say something. Yep. <laughs> um, yep. <laughs> like, that I'm willing... That, that I'm, like, I'm not, like... That I'm willing to believe, but I agree. It's also kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, yeah, you, you can you can hand wave that a little bit and, and say, it's, mm-hmm. oh, you know, you know, bureaucracy and, and red tape and not everybody would have known. Yeah. And, and that is a theme in, sure. in this. Is sure. like, being pawns of the military is, yeah. is one of those. Yeah. things being talked about so so there's there's that shatner is actually really good in this movie yeah i the whole con thing is that's kinda really mean. the only bit where it's like that is completely over the top and and not really called for <laughs> quite at mm. that point and it's, yeah it's very much like the darth vader no yep yep. Thing. yep and that's but that's really the only thing he's 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 actually really good here. Had a had a director who knew how to get a good performance out of him, and it and it worked. But yeah, so you you mentioned Spock's death being foreshadowed. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I, I don't have primary sources for this. This you know mm-hmm. here's here's what is certain. It leaked out during production or pre-production of this movie that mm-hmm. Spock was going to be killed, and so mm-hmm. that that spread around. You know, e- mm-hmm. even in the days before the internet. Yeah. And yeah, some have speculated that maybe Roddenberry was responsible for that because he he wasn't happy with 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 the movie and it being a little too violent and a little too militaristic compared to his mm-hmm. his idealized things. Yeah. Well, it is it is pretty militaristic, but it's pretty anti-militaristic at the same time. Yeah, too. exactly. And you know, that's Starfleet is is still Starfleet. They're not about being the military. It's like they're they're that when they need to be, but their their primary mission is you know peaceful exploration and, and diplomacy mm-hmm. and you know they're they're not out to just you know blow everything up that's 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 not what they are and yeah. they're not that here but yeah roddenberry may or may not have leaked this somebody did word word got out 
So here's where, you know, again, no, no primary sources. So consider this apocrypha, basically, mm. um, <laughs> yeah. com- coming from me. Some, somebody out there probably knows a little better than I do. But there are stories that once they realized that this had leaked, that they actually tweaked the beginning a little bit to foreshadow Spock's death in the way that they do to make it sort of a fake out because a lot of people uh, went in to see this movie thinking Spock's going to die. And it's like, we killed him off in the first five minutes. It's like, wait, what? Okay. And that makes me wonder if that's part of the reason why we have that extended version of the, the coffin on the terraforming planet. Like, I wonder if that's, that was also in response to that too. Yeah. There's, there's more there about, um, and, and this, this, this is getting inside baseball a little bit. Um, Leonard That's Nimoy funny. had, uh, he, he kind of had Paramount over a barrel because they had for mm-hmm. years been using his likeness on merchandise. Oh, totally. Yeah, without his permission. He never signed mm-hmm. for that, wasn't getting paid. He could have mm-hmm. taken them to the cleaners. Instead, mm-hmm. he says, okay, you want me back? Here are my conditions. And so he, he got paid reasonably well, pretty reasonably well for this movie and then said, I want to direct the next movie, mm-hmm. which he did, and, and basically wasn't in it that it. much to make his life easier. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Smart. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's 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 kind of this movie. Yeah, I I love it. I I think it works very very well. It's it's held up. It's forty years old. You can tell that a lot of the effects are are of their time. They're they're from the yeah. early eighties, but yeah, you know, a lot of them because it was it was all practical still worked because there, there was real light hitting real objects um and <laughs> yeah and there's a there's a scene that that had some you know actually really nice matte paintings kind of in the middle of the mm-hmm. film and it's like you know that that was an old old trick you know that's that's been done for ages and ages and you know mm-hmm. nowadays such things are, are pretty much all digital but it was it was done well here and and to good effect it, it gave you a sense of of awe and, and grandeur i feel like the matte lines aren't as like obvious as they are in certain aspects of like poltergeist like a- yeah yeah they're they're definitely composite shots you know with with models and and actors mm-hmm. and things but they look better than than yeah than the spinning around room yeah part of, of poltergeist so like that this movie from the same year and somehow yeah they, they were able to go and i think i mean maybe part of that was because it was able to be like in a in a dark background as opposed to you know when you have space as your background maybe it's a little bit easier to pull that off uh, yeah. well and i i think at at this point there was they uh, they had some experienced people doing that work i i can't swear to it i i'd, I'd have to look um but I, mm-hmm. I i think ilm worked on this and they'd already done two star wars movies at this point yeah. So, well, ILM worked on Poltergeist too. Yeah. So. Yeah. And yeah. but you know, not not everything always turns out as well. And, yeah. yeah, that's true. But yeah, yeah. So I like a uh, a lot of the deeper themes in this. I particularly like find you know I I like the the reckoning with one's consequences of one's actions from years before thing. I find very interesting um, with Kirk and dealing with you know Khan wanting to have revenge and the things around that. But there's also this whole other this whole son thing that he has going on. Then him like trying to like. I don't know, like, I, I find that interesting. If if now a little played out, um, like nowadays, we, we have a lot of movies that are like this, mm-hmm. but I, I do think it works well with this character because it isn't so beat you over the head about it. The thing I kept, a thing I wrote a bunch of times was death um, in my notes was just reckoning and coming to terms with death and getting old and stuff like that in space. Um, so that's yep. pretty interesting to me. For, and because of that, I kept thinking of Bill and Ted face the music, um, which is, which these are two movies that have very little in common, but for some reason there's, they have that in common. So that's, that's fascinating to me. Yep. 
like uh, and this is the first of a loose trilogy between two through four um, it's it's pretty tight actually those those all yeah. run very very much together and, and yeah each subsequent picks up right where the previous left off mm -hmm. between those three. It's helpful if you've seen the other ones for those ones to really work. Yeah, you, you don't yeah. have to, but it certainly helps. Yep. Yeah, I know. I kind of feel like Search for Spock really hates you to have seen too. Um, it, for yeah, it, to really, it would help for a lot, really but they, they, give yeah. you, they give you the bits and they, they do some of the same stuff um, where they, yeah. they you know insert some some shots from, from Wrath of Khan into that film. But. Mm -hmm. like yeah no i like it i like all the literary references i really want to see a moby dick in space movie yeah there's a there's a lot of melville there's some dickens and... mm -hmm. from hell's heart i stab at thee for hate's sake i spit my last breath at thee yeah no it's pretty cool I like it. Um, so I guess grade-wise for me, I'm actually going with a B plus. I think it's pretty pretty interesting. Um, I also find the whole civilian versus military because we have like the scientists mm -hmm. doing the Genesis device stuff, and then having to deal with like not 100% Starfleet stuff, but like the militaristic aspects of Starfleet stuff. Yeah. Um, I find that interesting because you know the only reason why we have some science ever funded is because we can make a weapon out of it. So that's. Like, I think that that's a neat little added thing, which is very in Watt, very much in Roddenberry's wheelhouse, even though he wasn't as involved mm -hmm, in this. Mm -hmm. um, it it yeah, really so, is. Yeah, so, so yeah, B plus for me. Yeah, straight, straight flat A from, from me. Yeah, I, I really love this movie. Like I said, there are just a couple of tiny little things in it that don't really work. But I mean, they even those kind of leave an impression. For a, for a movie based off a TV show, it does very very well. Mm -hmm. All right, so now we're gonna jump ten years all the way to June nineteenth, nineteen ninety two, to discuss. Wow, the Batman, or <laughs> is it just Batman? So Batman returns um, to offer some context on this. So this is Tim Burton's second. Batman movie um, of the two. He, well, okay, so Batman 89, so to give some context, so Batman 89 was a big deal. Made a whole lot of money, huge success, um, was one of the first times that people realized that maybe we could do something else with with superhero movies. I mean, part of this helps is that Batman isn't exactly a superhero um, in that he doesn't have, like, superpowers, mm -hmm. um, except for maybe his superpower detective skills, <laughs> maybe. Um, but that's, like, rarely used in the movies. Yeah. Like, yeah. So Tim Burton um, is given a lot more creative control here, and you can very much see that. We had a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that happened before before we went into this. He he between the Batman movies and what I like to call like the sandwich kind of film is he did Edward Scissorhands, which I used, which may be his best movie, and I used to think it was his most Tim Burton movie. But having watched this again, I kind of think this might be the apex of Tim Burton as a genre. <laughs> Um, of all that the only thing missing is Johnny Depp um, before we get into that so this was they were the Warner Brothers was like all right let's give Tim Burton all the money let him have a lot of control let him do his thing so they let him do that this is written by um, Sam Hamm who had written the the first movie um, it is involved in the writing here but it's mostly written by a guy named Daniel Waters who wrote Heathers and I think a lot of the sense of humor is actually coming from that kind of dark humor and that was one of the things that people would have a problem with it later is that it's a little dark um, I actually think it's darker in light than it is in tone but it is darker in tone than the first one and a lot harder to sell Batman McDonald's toys because of it mm -hmm. um, but there were we get a lot of interesting things out of it um, due to certain you know production things being is that we had originally we were, we were going to have Two-Face in this movie, or at least Harvey Dent, and this movie, instead of one villain, because we only had the Joker 
played by Jack Nicholson in the first one. Here we get three villains, and that is, you know, the ones we know are Catwoman, played by Michelle Pfeiffer, and the Penguin, played by Danny DeVito. But really, the big villain of this whole thing is a guy named Max Shrek, played by Christopher Walken. And Max Shrek is also the name of the actor who played Count Orlock and Nosferatu, which is like a great little Easter egg thing. I, I like it a lot. Yep. So the basic plot of this is it's Christmas time. I love that this is a Christmas movie that came out in June, but you know, it was really <laughs> hot this week when I watched this. So it was actually kind of nice to see some like frozen stuff. Anyway, it was hot so- that summer too. It was hot that summer, I'm sure. And so, like, you don't really have to have seen the first Batman to know it, other than to know that there's a guy named Batman who fights crime. And he is, yep. <laughs> he is also named, he is also played, he's also Bruce Wayne. Uh, that's about all you really need to know. I mean, there's, like, one line about Vicky Vale, who was in the previous yeah, movie. But yeah, yeah. Kind of, this is, kind is of mentioned it. a couple of times, but, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't really matter. Yeah, so the general plot of this, uh, Oswald, the, you know, is the penguin. He is born deformed and so his parents try to kill him but he instead lives and is raised by penguins in the sewers of the gotham abandoned zoo um he becomes a crime lord out of this with his own circus of you know of, you know criminal misfits catwoman is selena kyle who is max Shrek's professional assistance not secretary who he tries to kill but she ends up living um is i don't know revived by cats and then yeah she goes from crazy cat lady to cat woman and still crazy still a little crazy and they begin their own little like onslaught of crime in the town but it's really what really gets it going is that max shrek he is a he was he's an energy tycoon and so he has plans to create a new power plant in the city and but there's a power surplus right now but he this is not explained super well but it is he has this whole plot about trying to conserve energy to like save down the line to sell like during he wants to make a false scarcity and make a lot of money evil guy and so he sees that he can make the penguin his his helpful idiot in getting him into the into office um against the mayor it's time for me to ascend to reemerge your help your know-how your savvy and so batman has to deal with all this and the weird thing is is that there isn't that much batman in a batman movie. there's really um, not it's very much it's very much a villain driven film and the thing is these villains are a lot of fun to watch and if there's anything i can say that works well is that these villains really work well all three of them work really well um i think it's kind of, you know you don't have christopher walken in the marquee or on the poster because he's he's the new villain thing he's created for this movie but he's very much like the reason why all this works and he's a very interesting villain yeah and he's still so christopher walken <laughs> yeah and he he really yeah. is effectively the big bad in this movie yep so earlier i was saying that this might be his most tim burton movie if uh, if tim burton is a genre and uh, the, and i have a list for why <laughs> So it has that general, like, Burton aesthetic, like, you know, like Edward Scissorhands, or even though he didn't technically direct this, but Nightmare Before Christmas, like, that's the way, like, the way things look, the way props look, the way buildings look, they all have that kind of Tim Burton feel to them. But, you know, this movie also has Pee Wee Herman in it. It also has, I mean, it's a Batman movie, so that's checking one box. It has this extremely dark look. There's a little bit of that candy-coated stuff of his, like, current or latter films, but uh, not so much. It's scored by Danny Elfman. It has Danny DeVito in it. It's a Christmas movie. I mean, it has just like all the Tim Burton favorite things in one movie, except Johnny Depp. Yeah, that, that's that's uh, and I, and I think for the most part it helps more than it hurts, but it does make for a very strange movie. Yeah. So I I had not watched this movie through start to finish in uh, in the intervening thirty years. I'd, oh, yeah. I'd seen bits of it here and there, so I I rewatched again 
just uh, just the other night as as we record this. It's, this movie is so so much weirder than I remember it being. And, and I had seen this like a few years ago as to watch as to watch as like an alternate Christmas movie, and I remember like really liking it, and I still really dug it. But the, I kind of like it wasn't until this time I was like, man, this is really weird. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It has a silliness that the previous Batman movie didn't really have, but. It's a silliness that's not unlike Adam West, but it's still very different. Yeah, it 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 is. It's it's related to to the Adam West, but it's it's very much Tim Burton's brand of of dark and and weird silliness. Yeah. Like every single frame of this movie just just oozes Tim Burton and, and the Danny Elfman score and oh yeah, which is a great score. Like if you wanna if you wanna have like an alternate Christmas like music thing to listen to, listen to the score to this. Yeah, it's it's got atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And you know, I really like this movie a lot. Um, it is. I don't. It's not my favorite Batman movie, but I do think it's much more entertaining than other Batman movies. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, before we were doing this, I said, like, I don't think it's as good as Batman Begins. I think it's probably better than Batman Rises, or uh, Dark Knight Rises. Rises. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's... The thing I think I like the most about it is that I really like millionaire dork Bruce Wayne. I think Michael Keaton is... I always kind of... I would always tell people that I always thought he was... The reason why he's such a good Batman is that he's a really good Bruce Wayne and Batman. And I think part of that is that he just kind of has this, like, approachable dork thing about Mm -hmm. yeah i got a lot of money but you know i'm still kind of you know i still have my own like personality he doesn't have that millionaire playboy thing going on no not not quite later iterations would he's he's definitely got some some weird little idiosyncrasies like you know toward toward the end of the movie when he goes down to the bat cave and alfred says i think i'll take the stairs the stairs are right there. Alfred arrives in the Batcave like two seconds later. Why does Bruce Wayne take this one particular weird secret entrance instead of taking the stairs? I don't know. Because he's Bruce Wayne and he's he's a little weird that way. Well, you got to be a little weird if you're going to dress up like a bat and fight crime. Yep, so. yep, you do. Anyway, yeah, so uh, things that maybe, maybe don't work. I think for the most part, what it is, it works for what they're doing. However, it is not what people expected. I, and I think that's the big detriment, is that when you consider that the first one was a big cross hit, kids really liked that last one. This one's a little hard for children. Mm-hmm. Um, even though Even though it has, like, that kind of silliness that children would like and i remember liking as a kid um it also has some like just profoundly dark things happening like i i, I don't think a lot of us particularly so it, it's weird because the joker like electrocutes a guy and two like bones mm-hmm. like a gross corpse in the first movie but somehow the penguin biting that guy's nose is somehow more disturbing yeah and like, that's the weird thing about all this. This feels like it really earned its PG-13 rating. Mm-hmm. It uh, it sure did. There, there are definitely things about it that are, are dark and disturbing and, and were, you know, then and you know still mm-hmm. still are now for, for me as, as an adult. But you're right. This movie knows what it is. It's really not trying to be anything else. It just wasn't quite what people thought it was going to be. Yeah. As a Tim Burton Batman movie, I think it very much excels at doing that. I think it, it hits all the... It's yeah. sort of like Mars Attacks in that another Tim Burton movie <laughs> that... Now, okay, now here's the thing. Mars Attacks didn't have as big of ambition. Mars Attack knew what it was, yeah. and it wasn't trying to be anything harder. Here he's trying a little bit harder, I think. 
but he I do think he hits all the goals he wants to do here. He wants to make an interesting, kind of bizarre Batman movie, and he pulls that off. And he pulls it off pretty well. However, if that's what you want, that's the, that's the other thing. Yeah. When it comes to like deeper themes here, I don't have like a whole lot. I kind of like the whole bad businessman versus like good philanthropist kind of guy. Like we just seem to have robber barons these days. That's interesting. Like I yeah. I, I do find that whole kind of Chinatown esque sort of story going on is like i find that a little bit fascinating i also think that this this brings a little bit different in a me too era too kind of thing i think there's yeah definitely there um not just not just like literally like selena and and max shrek but i also think just the penguin Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) like a lot of his stuff would be uh he wouldn't have been a very good candidate to start (laughs) Um, nope so yep um but i do find that whole like you know finding a government patsy thing to be very to be very apropos and still still relevant today there's a little bit of like 90s technology dumbness that happens that i think very much grades it in where it is but i for the most part think this works pretty well in a timelessness sort of way i mean it looks like a movie from the 90s but it also looks like a movie from the 40s and also looks like a movie from like the 60s so like i kind of yeah yeah and Um, and that was that was definitely a choice and it's like it was was deliberate aesthetic and you know it's 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 weird and you don't quite know when you are but you're not really supposed to and that's sort of how that tim burton universe was yeah it was sort of this like art deco film noir gangster era kind of way of doing stuff which i which i think is pretty cool um so it just really it takes that aesthetic from the 89 one it just really goes into it and you're gonna be into that or you're not (laughs) i do think the fact that the like the first thing we hear in this movie is a mother screaming says something um i think that kind of sets the tone well yeah apart from the the danny elfman score yeah Oh yeah, yeah no, I, like I, I kind of, I, I dig it. I think it's, uh, it's a movie that I don't need to rewatch all the time. Um, and if you really want to, it, it is a good alternate Christmas movie. I, <laughs> I will go that far. I wonder if this is the, the big start of that quippy, kind of superhero dialogue stuff. Now Adam West would have that a fair amount in the, in the, in the TV show of the '60s, but we have so much examples of it in here. But even Batman even gets in on it this time. Um, I think one of my favorite parts is like the mistletoe exchange. <laughs> mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it. Mm, but a kiss can be even deadlier if you mean it. A kiss under the mistletoe. You know, mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it. A kiss can be even deadly. Oh my god. Does this mean we have to start fighting? And like that that feels like that could be in a Marvel movie now, so Yeah. For for movies, certainly. Um Yeah, for movies, yeah. But, it was definitely in the TV. Yeah, it was it was while, it was yeah. in TV and, and was in the in the comic books and is mm-hmm. is still there, never really went away. But I mean, I, I think this was the first time really that there was much of it in a in a big budget comic book superhero movie and mm-hmm. hey you know, people like this in in the in the in the comic books it still mm-hmm. still works why why would we not yeah um so yeah i guess for me um this time it's kind of on this like b minus b kind of place grade wise um i still really like it it's very enjoyable i do find it fascinating as like a tim burton curio um, but i would still say it's part of mid-tier batman movies and, and mid-tier tim burton i really like it but I don't know. It's like it's. I can see why people are disappointed in it sometimes. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm in a similar place. This is kind of a, a B minus for me now. Like it, it does everything that it sets out to do and does it pretty well. You know, like you mentioned, it is kind of thin. There, there's some some ideas about about the plot and and yeah, and villainy and but it never goes really deep into any of that. Like it just just sort of lays it out there on the table. Here's 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 this idea. And, and maybe that wasn't as much of a focus back then, yeah, but I think yeah. that's in the 89 one, though. Yeah, there's 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 so, more of it in, in the 89 film, for sure, yeah. which you know, benefited. So I think by, that's a valid critique. Yeah, it was it was easier to do there because there was only one villain. And here it's like you're splitting yeah. screen time between, well, three villains and also Batman is there. And I'm curious what it would have been like had, I mean, the reason why it's not Harvey Dent is because Billy D didn't want to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I'm kind of curious, like, and I and, and and I don't know if it became the Penguin and Catwoman because Billy D didn't want to do it, um, or or it was always going to be those three, and then we would have had Two Face instead. But I don't really think he would have been Two Face until like the end of the movie. Um, so like I am curious what that movie looks like had that may have been a little too much. Yeah, because there there are already several moving pieces in this movie, and yeah, it it is what it is. It's mm-hmm. it's it's very you know old comic booky and and not very very character driven at all old comic bookie to us now though because i feel like at the time it was still following that kind of frank miller way of doing batman like yeah so, kind of yeah at the time yeah and, but to us it now comes off as fairly dated as a movie that's 30 years old now so. yeah yeah but yeah i'm into it i dig it i i, th- I kind of think that michelle pfeiffer might be like my preferred Catwoman, although i am also pretty fond of eartha kit that's fair i did like uh zoe kravitz um i thought she was actually pretty good mm. but um and I feel like Anne Hathaway is sort of underused, but yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. one of many problems with the with the Dark Knight Rises as a as a film. And Halle Berry could have been a cool Catwoman if she had a better movie. Yeah, there's yeah. there there's material to make the character interesting. That wasn't it. That was not in that movie. Yep. So, <laughs> so. yeah, um, I I'll I'll say yeah, honestly to to me the the animated series from from the 90s that borrowed a lot of its aesthetic from from these from, movies, from these yeah. movies from the from the yeah. two Tim Burton films borrowed or or inspired by because it's it's got a lot of similar you know art deco and mm-hmm. and dark moody kind of you know is yeah. is it the 90s or is it the 30s or that's Adrian Barbeau Adrian Barbeau is yeah. is Catwoman throughout and yeah. she's she's fantastic she's pretty good and that was was Paul Williams Paul Williams as as the penguin yeah one of a like a yeah you know, a, a yep. dead letter favorite paul paul williams, paul williams. Um, and uh williams. richard mole as as uh as harvey dent yep yeah magic times last time i had us ask about i asked us about things that we noticed that are in both movies and i didn't have a whole lot here other than the fact that they are second movies and they are filmed in color <laughs> but tim had some things yeah well. yeah so there there are some sort of similarities so with the with wrath of khan you had the previous film was not a big hit so so there's there's a, a pivot and this is this is definitely a different kind of a thing than mm-hmm. than the first film was whereas with batman returns it was kind of the other way it's hey warner brothers says tim burton you you made this big hit movie go and make another one for us and yeah sure you you, you made a movie that that people really liked and made us a lot of money we'll we'll keep mostly out of your hair and what they got was an even more tim burton movie which shouldn't have surprised yep. them but kind of did yep so there's 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 that weird sort of divergence there and you know weirdly got got the the batman film franchise had had a similar thing after this film where it's mm-hmm. okay but somehow went even more weird yes it went weird in a, another way yeah yeah and a, a few other ways 
Yeah. <sighs> oh, Schumacher. Yeah. Anyway, I guess, and I do suppose both of these movies are very much hinge on their villains. Like, they're very much, like, the villains are the ones who make the movie. Now, although in Wrath of Khan, there's a whole lot of Kirk stuff that yeah. really works really yeah, well, there's, too. There's I mean, a lot we of... don't have enough Batman in Batman Returns to really have that kind of thing, but Khan really makes that mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, you know, to a lesser extent, you know, uh, Max Shrek, but, you know, the Penguin and Catwoman really make Batman Returns the special thing that it is. Yeah, they so. they command the screen when they're there. Yeah, and they're and they actually are like they have a lot of time together, which I think is actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a lot of time together in the new Batman movie, by the way, but um, mm-hmm. not in this kind of relationship. But yeah, yeah. Um, so, and a thing I want to add to this episode and maybe going on is a, a section I'm going to refer to as "Old Men Yells at Cloud," um, where <laughs> Tim and I like like. Or look at things from, you know, because these movies are the movies where we're going to be looking at are going to be at least 10 years old, most likely. So the, the thing that we kind of miss or if the things that, you know, that aren't in movies anymore that maybe for good reason, but, you know, are it's it's nice to see. And I do like the fact that both of these movies established their worlds a little bit longer than we get today. And and I'm kind of and I get that, like, I kind of think yeah. things could move. I'm a big fan of things can move faster. Um, we can always get things going up and going a little bit quicker. Um, however, I do think both of these movies, and part of this is that they are sequels, so they don't have to establish their world so much, but they still establish a pretty interesting universe within the first, you know, seven minutes pretty quickly. Yeah, and yeah. There, there's we, enough like, we for get the, that, the Yeah, we, we get the we get the the test in, in Wrath of Khan, going into Kirk showing up, the cold open of... You know, of the penguin being, you know, abandoned mm-hmm. and the, a very cold open because it's, you know, winter time, and then and then into the Christmas lighting stuff. So I mean, like, there's a lot of ways to establish the world really quickly without getting to the main plot all the way, and I think that that's pretty cool. Yeah, and we don't do that so much anymore. Yeah, um, and I think there's there's a place in the middle. Like, uh, I kind of think maybe Poltergeist takes a little too much time to do that. Um, maybe, but the, I, I still think like a sense of normalcy is still important to establish in that film more than like these, but I still think there's a way to do that nowadays without just going straight to the action. Although there are times when going straight to the action is the right thing, so I don't know. Yeah. But it's a thing we don't have like that's different now. Is Particularly with, with big franchises, like, you know, these mm-hmm. kind of were at the time, like Batman was a, oh, was yeah. a known thing and, and everybody knew mm-hmm. and... You know, Star it Trek, was huge. yeah, was yeah. was just starting to try and and keep its its film franchise going and get mm-hmm. it off the ground, really, because it, it didn't quite get there with its first movie. This was five years before Next Generation. Uh, yeah, yeah, which okay. uh, started started airing in the fall of '87. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, if if this movie hadn't worked, you know, Star Trek might have been over. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're probably if this hadn't worked, we probably still would have had Batman eventually. Um, yeah, yeah. And you know, maybe some sometime years and years later, somebody would have taken another crack at, at Star Trek. And yeah, they they did. They they picked it up again on television, which is where it does most of its best work. If we're we're being honest about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. The the world building thing is is a problem, particularly with with big franchises now. I mean, and like like MCU has well, has got this this thing. It's, yeah, well, they'll just decide to build their world yeah. as because they're going to have twenty something movies. So, mm-hmm. which I mm-hmm. mean, I get it. Um, yeah, but it does. It does make it feel less standalone in that regard. Yeah, it it presumes some pre existing knowledge on on the part of the audience more than either of these two movies did. Yeah, which is something that I you know kind of like lament now is that like, these, I, these yeah. things and like just the way superheroes were done yeah. is just is totally and I'm not. 
I kind of think superheroes are done better now than they were in the 90s, but there is a an aspect to it that they there it's weird because Batman Returns is interesting because it takes itself more serious in in other ways that the that Marvel does. It's like Marvel is too serious sometimes but it isn't like this movie is that serious like i don't know it's like it's i don't know it's hard to explain yeah it's it's kind of the dichotomy of batman it's it's sometimes serious and sometimes entirely absurd yeah totally i don't know it's just it's just interesting to see how different it was back then to do a superhero movie yeah yeah because almost nobody else was doing them there was there was superman and then this was the second batman movie so it's like Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we had some most of the superhero stuff were like TV movies, I think. Because we had like a we did have a Flash movie, but I think that was a TV movie. And there are a couple of Captain America things, but I don't think those were theatrical either. No, no. I um, mean, there there were there were a handful of television shows, you know, like like mm-hmm. you know there there was Wonder Woman and and Batman and you know some some Spider Man and and cartoons around them. But I mean, you know, we not really have yeah not not movies. Nobody was doing no this movies. in movies. I mean, yeah, and we only got that. I think we only had that Punisher movie because Batman happened mm-hmm. and was such a such a big hit. And even then, I've never seen that that one, the Dolph Lundgren one, no. who doesn't even look like the Punisher through most of the time. So, um, <laughs> Canon Films, man. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, okay. To to end out this episode, I wanted to ask one last question: and what are what do you think are the in your mind, just top of your head, like best second movies in a franchise? So I've got uh, three. Three. Okay. Um, Three. So the the one that came to mind first was Shrek Two. Okay. Yeah, you're not alone on that one. A lot of yeah. people like that one. Yeah. That that franchise really kind of fizzled after that, but the the second yeah. movie was was actually really good. Maybe not quite as good as the first, but it, it did some things better. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. Still very enjoyable. I, I don't think any of these picks will surprise anybody. Uh, the next one that I thought of was Terminator Two. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's that track is yeah. in nearly every way an improvement on the first film. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's a very different movie. It is. Um, I feel like there's a there's a big genre shift there because it goes from like a, a science fiction thriller mm-hmm. to a science fiction action film. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. Yeah, little little bit different. Um, and the the third is well. James Cameron kind of has a habit of doing this because he also made a movie called Aliens. Yep. Which is that, is, that is a good film. Not you know, not as good as the first, but and 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 a different kind of a movie, but also good. Also from a science fiction thriller to a science fiction action movie. Yep. yep. A thing I pre-made in my brain the last time I watched the Terminator, um the, the original Terminator was turning it into a Western, in that the, the Terminator instead is a bounty hunter coming after you, you take away all the future mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and you just have like a plot of like a woman being stalked by a man and you'd actually have a pretty pretty interesting kind of true grit kind of western. Um, or you could just yeah. have a horror film. I mean, <laughs> like it would be a pretty fine horror film. Yeah. Too. I, but, either uh, way, it's you know, it's it's yeah. a you know, apart from the the little bit of science fiction trappings, it's it's a pretty mm. basic plot and could be totally. could be spun a few different ways. Sure. And yeah, and that's one of the things that you know makes it work so well. Um, as for me, so the, whenever someone asks uh, what what second movies are better than it, like what sequels are better than the original, like the first two that always pop in my head are The Godfather Part Two, mm. um, which is which is apparently the first. From what I could find, the first movie to popularize part two. That's before then we mostly just had riffs on titles like The Invisible Man Returns or Son of Dracula yeah. or Dracula's yeah. Daughter or things like that. Um and then and of that vein, I would say the other one is Bride of Frankenstein, which I think is 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 a better film than than Frankenstein. 
um, in, in in a lot of in a lot of ways. Um, but when if I was going to go with something more modern, I think it would I would probably have to say like Toy Story two. Um, yeah, is, yeah, is actually, quite good. I, I had, yeah. and I had just now thought of that one as well. Yeah. yeah, I I thought that one was quite a bit more entertaining for me personally than the than the first one. Well, I mean, I think they Pixar had found its feet at that point mm. and knew like what to do. Um, which which you know which tracks you know not sure I feel about three and four I haven't seen four but uh I liked three when I left the theater but as I drove home I didn't like it as much yeah, That's another thing. yeah. but I also think um going back to, to superhero movies I think Spider Man two is probably the best of those movies of those three of the of the Raimi yeah. three I yeah mean, probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so uh all right so but yeah we are so going into our next one we're going to go we're going back into science fiction territory um just like uh for both movies in this case it is going to be uh, dealing with aliens area in predominantly one space we're going to be <laughs> doing uh john carpenter's the thing pairing it with m night Shyamalan's signs from 2002 in which mel gibson finds crop circles or do the crop or, circles find mel gibson don't know yeah we're gonna have a lot of talks about twist endings that's for sure yeah. probably just endings in general yeah so yeah. that's gonna be coming in soon so look out for that and for now that's our show thanks for listening everybody we'll see you next time bye bye stop global warming start global cooling make the world a giant ice box <laughs>